Welcome to the School Food Rocks podcast, a platform where we will discuss all things school food related and how we can improve school food on a national level. This is the School Food Rocks podcast. Welcome back to the School Food Rocks podcast. This is your host, Joe Urban, Director of Food and Nutrition Services for Greenville County Schools in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. Joining me again today as co-host is Lauren Kushwa, culinary specialist here in Greenville. Today, we're going to be talking to a good friend of ours. Uh, he's a director from my home state in New Jersey. Uh, he's an expert on serving incredible quality school food. He's been doing it for a long time. We're going to talk today a little bit about contract management companies and the incredible work they can do in our industry. We're going to dive into some current uh, school nutrition legislation issues and then we're going to talk hashtag FDH. My man is the creator of that hashtag, and it stands for food that's delicious and healthy. So I'm excited to have Sal Valenza on the show today. Sal's the regional director for New Way Concessionaires and the food service director for West New York Schools in New Jersey. Sal has over 30 years of experience in the school food service industry, working in self-operated districts in addition to large and small contract management company districts. Sal was instrumental in leading Memorial High School in West New York to achieve gold-level recognition from the Alliance for a Healthier Generation's Healthy School Program. Sal is past president of the New Jersey School Nutrition Association. He is also currently the chairperson for their PPNL committee. Sal was chosen as the New Jersey and Northeast Region's Outstanding Director of the Year by the State and National School Nutrition Associations. Sal was also recognized as one of the 21 outstanding individuals across the nation as a national champion for the Alliance for a Healthier Generation. Sal's most recent project was the launch of Whole Sam Consulting, a group focused on whole school reform, relating to health and wellness in our schools with an equal focus on nutrition, nutrition education, physical and health education, and curriculum integration. Sal is married with two children and is passionate about the welfare of our next generation. This is going to be a great show, so without further ado, let's go. My man Sal, welcome to the School Food Rocks podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, happy to be here. Glad I finally made it, guys. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, we had a we had to navigate all your handlers to get you on the show. It's like <laughs> it's like trying to get Burt Reynolds on the show or something. I mean, we had to you know I had to check his calendar. So you're a tough guy to get, and there's a reason for that because you are a leader in our industry, I believe. So um, before I blow your head up too much, why don't you talk to our listeners about uh, who Sal Valenza is and what your background is and what you're you're currently doing. All righty. So I am a graduate of the Florida International University in Miami, and I went to school there for hotel and restaurant management. I think Joe and I have this in common a little bit is that we do have a, a restaurant background before we got into school food, which I think informs a lot of the things I do, because you know, as you all know, I've been talking a lot about food that's delicious and healthy. Yes. And it's FDH. important that if we're going to if we're going to run a program, we got to make sure that that's the part that is perfect. That's the part that we control. That's the part that we can make sure is good. And a lot of times we get bogged down in regulations. We get bogged down in staffing, other things. But if the food's not delicious and healthy and getting kids out to eat it, our programs are going to fail. So I feel like that, just that background of having food be in the forefront all the time mm -hmm. is something that's really important when we look at school, food pro school meal programs. We say it here too. I mean, it's the same thing. No matter how nutritious something is, they're not going to eat it. What was the point of it? It has to taste good too. Yeah. Look, we've been working for years and it's, it's sort of funny to me as I watch things come back around again, but we've been doing so much work for years and years on making sure that everything that we serve is, is good, just looks great. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when you guys came on the scene, Gwinnett, some of the other people that were just started just blasting the internet with pictures of school food and, and folks out in the world were like, wow, you know, look at that. That is, that's so beautiful. It looks great. You know, we've been working that for a long time 
and making sure that we we had that. I don't think that we did as good a job back when we started. I don't think we had the the tools and the social media to do the kind of PR that gets done now. But it's always been, you know, at the center of what we do is food that's delicious and healthy. You know, we mentioned this on one of our last two or three podcasts ago um, that there, even to this day, when when more and more people are getting on social media, there are a lot of programs around the country who are doing exemplary work. A lot of them that we don't even know who they are. We like we heard about one of the podcasts. We're like, who the hell's that? Really, I got to look into them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you don't know about them because they're in their little bubble. They're doing incredible work for their school district and their community and their students. But for one reason or another, they don't find a need to, to tell the story. Um, I believe the storytelling right. is important because the you. I'm sure you will agree with me. The perception of school food nationally is that it sucks really bad. And the reasoning for that is what gets on social media is the times when people fail. You know, a lot of times there, that's a right. real story where a district does not do a great job. That's a reality. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And other times it's just it's just an opportunity pick where maybe a, a district failed that day. Um, so what, right. just like everything else in our world, you know, the negative stuff always gets the most pressed. And for that reason, um, it, you know, I think we all have a responsibility in our own communities to do the best job we can for our kids. But I, I think we also have a shared responsibility of changing that perception nationally yes. so that, you know, maybe we can help others move along. And that's why I'm, I'm glad I'm friends with you, Sal, because one, you're, you're in Jersey. And that's my hometown. Two, you love Mexico. I'm a Mexico guy. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. Um, but three, oh, yeah. you're just, a, you're just a, a restaurant guy at heart who's passionate about really, really doing incredible work. And I think more people need to know about you. Um, but we're in a oh, little different situation. So. What's that? <laughs> I said a lot of them know about me already. Come on now. No, they, they um, do. But they, some of the people in my district don't. And I share your stuff and they're like, who's that guy? And I was like, that's Sal. That's my friend Sal I'm telling you about. So you're, you're, you're well known throughout our, our industry. There's no doubt about that. And then um, for the, for the work uh, well, you're it, doing. You know, back to where you were. Look, I, I think that, and I said this yesterday, I was talking to somebody else and I said, we need to, for every one negative thing that gets out there. We need a hundred positives and we have them every single day, every day you walk around. I mean, I just walked around this morning and I saw chicken coming out of the oven. So I took a picture of it and then I posted it. Dude, I saw that picture just about an hour ago. Yeah. You don't need to spend a ton of time on this stuff. You're walking around, you see something great. Take a picture of it. The other piece, and um, we started it this year. Uh, We have a, a chat between all of the managers in all of our schools. And it's just a, you know, a texting chat. But what they do is they post their food and then they get really competitive with each other. So it's fun to watch what these guys have done. Yesterday I was looking at pictures and my ladies took cucumbers and they bought a little cookie cutter and they cut hearts out of the cucumbers. And then they used the cookie cutter to cut hearts out of carrots and they stuck them inside the cucumbers. It's just, I looked at it, I was like, that's a lot of work, but they love it. Mm. And they're they're having so much fun with it. You know, we had just a tray that we put up yesterday that had stars and hearts on it. They didn't put them in anything. They just popped them out and used those as the vegetables. The kids look at that. They're like, wow, I want to eat that. So it's just, to me, it's everybody feeding off each other, seeing what's going on. I, I said to Joe before we got on here that um, in the beginning of the year, I just shared his Facebook site with my whole all my management staff. And so just look at this stuff. Just look at what's happening. Um, we look on the school nutrition industry page or the school nutrition professionals page, and they all go and they, they pull ideas and they steal. Look, I, I think that um, we're past the point of us inventing anything. That's right. I think we're at the point where we just improve everything. Yeah. So we see it and then we're like, oh, all right, well, we'll steal that and we'll one-up it with this. and. I like the fact that we share it as much as we can because yes. that just gets everybody moving forward. Yeah, I, I believe it's in all of our best interest to share our best practices with each other. You know, it's not competition, but sort of friendly competition. Like, like I'm about to take on a sandwich bar, and I want to like pre-proclaim myself as the school nutrition 
sandwich king in the world, but I know I'm not going to be able to do that because you're freaking killing it with sandwiches. Dude. You guys, you guys, are so innovative. I'm like, it gets me mad. I'm like, damn, I got to do that. But you know, I, I don't get oh, mad at it. I'm like, cool, that's fuel for me. I gotta, I gotta up my sandwich bar concept now. You know, and and I think right. Well, the fun part of that stuff has been that um, a bunch of it happened just sort of close to post pandemic as we were coming out of it, we had spent so much time like out on the streets and in the community doing stuff. And there's a French bakery that was making baguettes. And I went to talk to her and I said, look, I, I want to use these in my school. I need them to be a whole grain, 51%. And this is what I want. I don't want a big fat one. I want a skinny one. I, make, I want to make these sort of skinny long baguettes like the ones you see in the metro stations in, in Paris. And she's French. So she looked at me and she goes, I know exactly what you want. And that's what she made me. So our, our baguette station are these authentic French baguettes that we're just making these really cool sandwich mixes on. Um, we walked around town and there was a Mexican bakery. So he started to make us telero rolls and samita rolls. And we're making a torta mexicana and we're making this uh, samita de res. Ooh, that's so one of my favorite sandwiches sandwich in the world, a, And a chicken sandwich. And uh, it, it's just because we were out sort of walking around the community, we've been able to do a bunch of these little sort of um, one-offs with what we what we're calling sort of hyper local purchasing. So we're buying the baguettes from this bakery right in town. We're buying the Mexican bread from the Mexican bakery. I started buying. I was buying pizza dough from one of the national companies, and I just it was just hard to handle. I didn't like the way it was working out. So we went and spoke to our local pizzeria, which happens to be named Sal's, which yes. I really enjoy. They were just on uh, the Portnight guy. Was I know. I, I shared that, and, and I was like, I think you dude, said it was like 8.5. Yeah. You're like, yeah, that's my dough. <laughs> that's my dough. Yeah, that's my it's dough. really cool. And and, and we, we advertise that on our menus, that you know we use Sal's Pizza dough. We use Petite B Bakery's baguettes. We use Xochimilco's Mexican rolls. So that they're getting the credit as well. But we're trying to be, you know, very sensitive to what we can do to bring money back into our community, Thank and also you. being as authentic as we can in the sandwiches and the stuff that we're making. Awesome. So, Joe, I just watched your whole trip to uh, Mexico City. I wanted to cry because I wanted to be there with you. Let's take but, the trip uh, tell with me next about time. What you're gonna, tell me, tell me what's going to happen. What's what's the first uh, menu item coming out of the Mexico City trip? Well, we we actually decided um, to do a Facebook contest, and I. It, Oftentimes when I, when I try to introduce a new concept, just to, just to let it be some sort of proof of concept, um, I'll put out there a, a little Facebook contest for our, for our local schools, for our schools, and say, hey, this is, this is what we're thinking. School with the most votes wins, and you got two days to vote. I think we gave three days this time. And the last I counted, there was like, 24,000 plus votes on this page where people are going, it needs to be Montevue. Now I, I saw one guy posted 84 times the same school name. So, you know, there's, there's no rules The fine print didn't say you can't vote more than once, but there's over 24,000 votes. So, wow. I mean, I, we're going to, we're going to serve some of, some of my favorite, favorite Mexico city things, which um, is going to be El Pastor tacos. Um, it's going to be, a, nice. uh, we're going to do Cochinita Pibil tacos. So we're going to have a, a Mexico city themed taco bar with El Pastor and Cochinita Pibil, but we're also going to do, um, some, le, some legit esquite. So Mexican street corn off the cob. We're doing some, uh, churros con chocolate. So like chocolate, uh, stuffed churros. Um, and then we're going to do, nice. we're going to do a, a, a pinto bean recipe that, uh, friend of mine from uh, Midland, Texas, who's originally from Mexico, sent me, he's like, hey, I saw that. You want my grandmother's pinto recipe? I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's cool. I do. So we're going to do that at three schools. We, um, thankfully, the three schools, we're a very diverse district here. We got 825-something square miles. Some are, you know, urban city-type demographics. Some are, you know, mountain people. Some are rural people. I mean, we got a little bit of every little bit of everybody here and and the, when the votes came in it was it was great because there was one that was predominantly hispanic with a lot of kids from mexico but probably even more so from south america and then we had a right. very suburban school with a very low free and reduced population and then a high school that was right in the middle so what we're going to do is we're going to 
we're scheduling those either today or tomorrow. We're going to pick three different days where I take uh, me and Lauren and the district chefs, and we're going to do what we call a cafeteria takeover. We're going to build out this entire menu. Um, and at our first school, we'll say, all right, did, you know, the recipes are all good. We know that ahead of time they're going to taste good, but is this something right. that is uh, easily replicable by the cafeteria staff if we're not here? Um, so that right. we'll, we'll make some adjustments after that first day. We'll get some student feedback. We'll get some staff feedback. We'll take it to the, the next school, which may be the next day or a week later, however it fits on our calendar. Um, uh, use whatever tweaks we made for the procedures for that day and, and see how it's successful on that day. And again, see if we need to make more tweaks to the recipes or the procedures. And then again, get student right. feedback. We'll do that at all three schools. And if, if we feel like we got a, a hit, that, you know, for us, it's really important that we're able to uh, replicate everything we do at a very high level over almost 100 schools and a lot of square miles. So yeah. when we develop these things, we got to be very conscious of, you know, what equipment are we asking them to use that day, especially consider this would be middle and high school where they're where they're going to have, you know, six or seven other entree options available that day. So we need to be careful that we give them a menu that one, we can be proud of that two, like you said, to the best of our ability represents the culture we're trying to uh, represent. And then three right. the kids got to like it. So yeah, that's coming really soon. We're excited. Um, well, that's awesome. You know, you, you hit on one thing there that I think is, is really important as we just talk about food in general and what, what programs look like and how you do things is that we need to teach the people that are out there you use the word procedure. I use the word technique. Yeah. Um, teaching them how to cook. Uh, I've had this discussion, and I, I get into I get into the weeds on it sometimes because people get mad at me. But I, I don't want to teach people how to read a recipe. I mean, I, I can do that. It's easy. I need to teach them how to cook. Yeah. And then the recipe will be read, and it'll be followed. But they'll know what they're doing. Um, and they'll know what it's supposed to look like. And they'll know the technique. They'll know how to saute. They'll know how to sear meat if they need to do that. If they need to broil something or steam something, what it should look like and how it should be done. I think this is so much more important than there was just this push for everybody to just follow their recipes and read the recipes. And it's the technique piece to it is so, so important. Equally, and if that's not more the so. only way that the food's going to be great. Okay. Yeah, you can't you can't make good food just by reading. So one of the things I love about you, because I, I know the area you live in. Obviously, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, not West New York, but I, I spent some time in West New York, and um, it's been quite some time. But one of the things I love about back home is it's really diverse. I mean, you have people from yeah. every possible culture in the world in your in West New York. It's a very diverse area. And as such, you have some of the most amazing food. That's one thing. Greenville is a great foodie city. We have some great spots. Right. I'm not going to anybody here, but in my heart, maybe everybody feels like this because home's nostalgic, but there's no greater food in the world than that of the Northeast food, especially New York and New Jersey. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, we like start talking about you guys. Diversity. Diversity. And yeah, but, but the, I think one of, one of the things I love about you most, Sal, and and I see a lot throughout this country of people doing a banh mi sandwich or they're doing some some other ethnic dish, but it doesn't even resemble what the original was. And I know they're doing the best they can and, you know, resources, right. whatever it may be. But when I see your stuff, dude, if, if you didn't say it was a school, I thought you would be at that at that little mama pop place next to South Pizza. Because the food, the food look or a higher education—that that's even a better way to put it. Like if if you go to a college campus, I mean they have to be trendy, they have to be on point. Those kids are savvy, and that's where we get a lot of inspiration. But your stuff reminds me of what I would see at a Clemson camp campus, and I love the fact that so you're doing really good stuff. But it 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 gives respect to where you took it from. Yeah, well, back back when I worked for Aramark, so when I started out, I um. I started in a little school district and I worked for a small management company and it was good, but there was no real support there. Uh, I ended up, the company that I worked for ended up going out of business. I actually took it over and started my own company for about 
six months and then they had to put it back out to bid because it, I only got it under like an emergency situation. But I had built the the program up so much that all the big guys came after me and this shows you how old I am, but it was, it was Aramark, it was Marriott and it was Canteen. So now those, those two companies, you know, they don't exist under those names anymore, but one of them does. And they all came after me and I got, I did not win the the bid just because I sort of didn't know what I was doing because I was just new to all of this, but also you know, they, they had they had the money to burn a little bit, and I did. So I got offers from all the companies, and the one that I ended up going with was Aramark. And the reason that I did that was because the guy who was the district manager who went on to become the VP, um, we all sort of followed him as he went up the ladder, said to me, you know, at this point in your career, you you don't need to look at money. You need to look at where where you're going to learn the most. And he said, so here's the deal. Whatever anybody else offers you for money, I'll match. But I promise you that within the next two years, you'll get more training than you would get anywhere else. And I said, "Hmm, okay. So that's what I did. And that's what they did. I mean, they invested tons of money in me. I got tons of training. And you made me think of this when you talked about campus. I got to go to a cooking, a week cooking class at the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park. And it was for the campus chefs. And honestly, I, I I wasn't fit to hold their knives. I mean, these guys were amazing. And they were doing such incredible stuff. And it was it was just fun to watch. You know, I mean, I learned how to make kimchi that week, hmm. which was pretty cool. We're, we're um, one of our student competitions that we have every year with... Uh... With Michelin. I saw it. Yeah, the winner was a kimchi, a bacon kimchi grilled cheese sandwich. It's so good. So we're getting ready to roll that yeah. out pretty soon, too. Um, so you mentioned, you know, Aramark. and fun. You, you mentioned Aramark and how you spent the uh, vast majority of your career working for contract management companies. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. Yeah, um, I spent eight years at Aramark. I've been with New Way, where I work now, for... 20 and I have to know that because I started when I got married so it's the same as my same as my my work anniversary is the same as my wedding anniversary I need I need to tie so I tied mine into three days after Christmas so anytime I know it's Christmas I know my anniversary is coming anytime now so it works good well Um, you know I I often try to figure out which one's more work the wedding or the work (laughs) um well, yeah, we are. We are all know that answer better shape than I am Kyle and I have forgotten our anniversary three years in a row you would think we would eventually learn. Oh. Let's see if we make it this year. <laughs> I was I was honestly going to sleep one night. My wife and I were going to sleep, and my mother called to wish us a happy anniversary. And <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, geez. That's my dad. Same. I got a text. Happy anniversary, you guys. And we were like, oh, is it? <laughs> Look at us. Sure. Here we go. Yep. So so you you've been you've been with contract your current company for the same amount. You've been married. Um I want to, there still is to this day. When I got in this business 15 years ago, I was told to fear and hate contract management companies. I didn't know anything about school food service, but I knew about restaurant business. And, you know, I I had known they were out there. I didn't, I don't know if I ever realized they were in K-12, but obviously I knew they were in the higher education segment. And so, you know, my curiosity was like, you know, why, why, what, what do we care? What, what other people do? And the answer was, it was pretty clear. It was like, you know, they're out for your job. You know, their job is to, is to go in and steal districts. And what they do is they'll keep all the workers, but they fire all the upper management. So you like, you got to keep them at bay. You know, like that was my first introduction to K-12 management companies. And, um, you know, it didn't take me long to form my own opinion on it. And they got a lot of opinions that are sometimes not popular. I'm too stupid to keep them to yep. myself sometimes. But so here's one of them. Here's one of them that not everybody's going to appreciate. And I know me and you have talked about this privately in the past. What I come to realize pretty quickly was that in the time I've been here, now it's 15 plus years, and this, I realized this a bunch of years ago, I had not seen one really well-run self-op program that was serving good food, that was meeting their financial requirements to their districts. So no, you know, no, 
no quality school food program serving great food that was running financially stable programs. I've never seen, even to this day, one of those say, no, you're out. We're hiring the other guy, you know? So I've never seen that. Um, I've seen some, I've seen some move over to contract management companies when they were doing a very poor job, both financially and food quality wise. Um, and then th that's about it. You know, and I, I, I come to realize that there are a number of, of districts throughout the country for a variety of reasons. And maybe you have better insight on it than, than I do. Um, they kind of have to go with a contract management company. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, and, and without giving percentages, cause this would be a total wrong guess. And that's not a good thing to do to put out bad info. But I mean, there's a, there's a large percentage of self-op programs that do an exemplary job. There's a number of them that do a great job and there's a large number that do a crappy job. And I think the same thing um, goes with contract management companies. Some do an outstanding job, some not so good, and then some really poor. Um, and then what I've what I later on learned was like, look, when things go out to bid, the school district bids it, and the bid is structured in a way that we want the minimal you can do for as cheap as possible. I mean, you're going to get what you pay for no matter what. And then uh, we were just working right. with a, another district in Illinois. Uh, I don't want to call them out yet, but we we were just working with them. And, you know, that's the contract they've had for years. And now, now they're like, you know, we can do better. You know, what do you suggest? And I was like, well, how's your contract written? And, and they said, you know, well, the contract written is low guy wins. It's a bid. Yeah, low guy wins. I said, well, right. I so, think you, you know, change that structure. So they're right. going to. Right, when you go on LCD, you know, if you're looking at lowest common denominator, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. And if you're not savvy about how to write a contract for food service management as a business administrator or as you know even a food service director who's trying to uh, i'll use the word protect for lack of a better word um, working with a food service consultant that writes contracts might help you because mm -hmm. you don't do that all the time and making sure that what the contract states is what you want because if you don't ask for it, they're going to give you the least amount of what they can do because it's based on dollars. Yeah. So if I go in, you know, I, I had this discussion a lot. Um, people said, well, why aren't you guys out chasing this or that? And a lot of times I just say, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want to run that program because if I do, I have to bid it like this. Yeah. And that's not what I do. And it's going to dilute what I do in the places that I do it and do it well. So that's, to me... The biggest piece when people are looking at you know, how management companies come in or how they do what they do, they're only answering, they're responding to a request. So if the request is written well and, and really states all the things that someone wants, you're going to get a good program, hopefully. For the instance, if they is, say, hey, you know, I require uh, fresh fruit instead of canned fruit. If I require, you know, right. salad bars, if I require... You know, high quality proteins, whole muscle chicken, you know, no pre pro I mean, as a contract management company, you're more than willing to come in there and bid on whatever, right? Long, but if there's no stipulations, obviously, low guy wins. Yeah, and low guy wins, and you end up with these horrible programs. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, look, it, and it's not always that. You know, the other piece that you've got to look at is, is the biggest piece to all of it is the human factor. Mm -hmm. And it depends on who the person is that's at the helm. And who the, who the director they put in is, because you can get somebody who doesn't really care and just wants to get in there and get out, mm -hmm. and they're going to do what the contract told them to do. Or you get somebody who really cares about it and is going to go over and above. But it's about it's about the way the contract's written, what was asked for, and also who's there. Yeah. And then those are the those are the big pieces. Um, look, I could I could skate in places and, and not do things that. I do, but I don't want to. Uh, you go back to why are you doing what you do? Yeah. And I do it because I enjoy it. I enjoy the fact that I see kids every day, that I know that I'm making an impact on their lives. Um, throughout the pandemic, I was able to just see how much we impacted families mm -hmm. and what we're able to do for people by really combating food insecurity throughout our whole community. You did a great job, me, and you guys, huge, you guys got it's a great recognition. Hugely rewarding for job. Yeah, yeah. You know, to me, that's that's the part. Those are the things that I love. I also love the fact that I can go wander around. You know, I grab my staff sometimes, and I'm like, field trip. 
and we'll go to the Vietnamese restaurant and eat bong mi's. Or right. we just went the other day. Um, there was this place on Instagram called Torta Truck. If you look it up, their food looks great. And they do a good job. We went there and had their Torta Mexicana, and ours is better. Nice. And I was like, well, that's cool. But I took my staff there to see it, to understand what it is, what the goal is. And it was it was great because we went back and told the people that are making them, like, yeah, we went to this restaurant and you guys do a better job than nice. they do. And they were all super happy about that. Cool. But but to have that ability to go in and do those things and influence sort of what's going on, it, to me, is just the best part of my job. I, I think you're fortunate, I'm going to say it again, because I'm a Jersey boy through and through, that literally when I want to go on a foodie trip, I go to Mexico or I got, you know, or I got to go to the state. <laughs> you can walk down eight blocks to, in West New York and hit yeah. eight different continents. So basically what I'm getting is yeah. if you want to replicate what Sal is doing with food trips that you just need to take all of us to Mexico then. Uh, no, or, no, what yeah. I was saying was we can go to West New York, but or that the Mexico <laughs> trip is always on. You go, you know, <laughs> I Mexico or West New York. I'm get, it's so, tomato, yeah. tomato. Yeah. yeah. Sal will go to, yeah, Sal will okay. go to Mexico with us in a skinny minute. I'm going to Mexico. Yeah. Skinny yeah, minute. That's I'm, we are, We were talking separately about fan. planning that trip. So let's make that happen. Um, so I think one yep. thing we could take from what we, what we talked about so far, let me see if I can sum it up so far before we move on, because I, we got some other stuff we want to talk about. One, you're awesome. You're doing awesome work. Your community should be super, super proud of you. Everybody who isn't following you needs to follow you. Well, you know, and, and just to that, and I always say the same thing, you know, I, I really don't do that much. I just sort of point the boat in the right direction. Uh, and I'm lucky that I've had staff that have been with me for a long time that understand the mission. They know what we want to do. And look, almost all of them live in this town. So they want they want the meals to be great. They yeah. want everything to be yeah. Just wonderful for their children and and their community, and they love they love being out and having somebody say to them, "Oh my, you know, my kid tried this at your school and they never had it before. You know, how did you cook that?" Or just a, a myriad of the other things that they hear when they talk to parents throughout the district, you know, and when they talk to parents in the district that have things to say that are negative, they bring them back, and we we go after it. Yeah, we're like if that's not if that's not good if that people aren't happy with that we're going to change it's it. Got to go today. We're make it better. So you're you're very yeah. humble and you got amazing people. I know that for a fact. But um, amazing people do a better job when they have a good, competent leader who cares and has a good vision. And you do that. So that's the first talking point. Second thing I want to I want to um, recap from our conversation so far was that. Anybody out there thinks contract management companies are evil, get over that. Uh, just stop stop being afraid of that. We're all in the same business, period, to serve the best food. And quality school food service programs come in many, many different forms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they come in contract management forms. We'll be talking with a good friend of all of ours here. I don't want to release his name yet because we haven't hyped him up yet, but he's from a private school in California, does amazing work. You know, so all of our goals are the same and we help each other. Um, one of the reasons I want to have you on today, Sal, is um, now this, this is a huge industry, but also a very small industry with four, over 14,000 school districts. It's amazing how many people you really get to know from other states and actually forge amazing friendships. You know, and I, I have a lot of them as well as you. Um, I think we met through mutual ones. Uh, but, you know, in general, and this is a horrible generalization, I, I, I tend to see people who are like killing it on the food side, which is my jam. You know, that's what I want to do. And then I see people right. who are killing it on the legislative side, legislative side. You know, going to, going to all, going to D.C. and advocating wherever they can. And I'm not saying that everybody's in their lane that way. There's, there's people that cross lanes, but you're one of the few people I know that kill it on both sides. You know, you, you are equally as passionate about advocating for school food reform on the legislative level as you are, as like killing it every day in reality. And I love to see that. And I'm not knocking anybody else who focuses on one or the other, but you're, you're, you're a rare bird in my mind in that, that you excel at both of them. So let's talk about 
challenges of school food service regulations, upcoming possible, probable regulation changes. And then my uh, RD lady in front of me is going to be jumping all over this conversation. So, In a good way. I love all this. In a good, no, no, in a good way, because she's equally as passionate Look, as you. I, I, um, I laughed when you talked about when you got in 15 years ago and you know they told you you should hate management companies. So I got into this, um, boy, 30, I was just turned 25. 32 years ago, I started doing this. Okay, I think my first ANC was in St. Louis, and there were, I think I honestly, I don't know how to say this nicely, I think I had to pee in a mop closet because uh, all the men's rooms were closed because they just made them ladies' rooms because there were no men. So it was a, it was an interesting industry to get into. Like I was I was one of the few guys that was involved in in any of this stuff, and I worked for this woman. Her name was Sue Romanoff, and Sue Romanoff has forgotten more about school meal regulations than I'll ever learn. But she um, took me to my first LAC in Washington, and I was hooked. I was like, "This is really cool. Like, I enjoy this whole piece, the the policy part of it. I'm going, seeing the congressmen, seeing the senators, talking about what we do, and then seeing really how we do influence." the policies that come down. Um, I was I was lucky enough to work with Alliance for Healthier Generation when they first started um, pushing their work in schools and was involved with all of that as the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act came out and really got to do a lot with advocating for schools through that. So it's been, that run has been sort of fun. I got to do some work with the Pew Charitable Trust and we had these groups of people that were just really incredibly smart, um, great operators, great advocators. And we all were in this sort of gang that was getting to work on policy. And it was it was really, really pretty cool. So I've, I've enjoyed that piece to it. I've been the PPNL chair for New Jersey since I, I think since I stopped the year that I was president, then after that I became the PPNL chair. So I think it's about six or seven years at least that I've been doing that. So that's awesome. It, it keeps me uh, keeps me hooked into a lot of this stuff, and it's also got me in some just fun places. I've I've got to do a lot of really really cool stuff. I always laugh that I'm the guy who you know, I'm the guy slinging chicken nuggets, but I was hanging out with presidents. Um, we were featured on the Rachel Ray show. One of the best days I was on, Rachel Ray came to our school district and she did an entire piece on what we were doing with the Alliance and the other stuff. And I went into Manhattan for the day that the show was going to be on and President Clinton was the guest on the show. And he's up there talking to Rachel Ray. And Rachel says, oh yeah, we, we're just out in West New York. And he just stops. He's like, oh, West New York. I love West New York. I said, I think I see Sal out there. He's like, hey, Sal. Uh, it's like, oh. I'm like, oh, hey, Bill. What's up, bro? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. And, you know, one of the questions that got asked the other day on school nutrition industry professionals, um, which we should give a shout out to Becky while we're on here. Yeah, Becky does a great job. Because of what she's done with that, with that site is incredible. But uh, one of the questions of the day was like, what is one of the best compliments you ever got? And I said, somebody told me that they were talking about me the week before, and I thought it was kind of cool. Well, that somebody was President Clinton. Uh... So I, I was at the Rachel Ray show, and I'm in the back, and you know everybody's standing around, and the president walks in, and they're all like swarming him. And he's standing up, and he's a tall guy. And he's like, hey, hey, Sal, Sal, come here. Nice. So I go and talk to him, and, and that was the statement. He's like, you know, I was in a meeting the other day, and I was talking about you. Oh, no way. And I looked at him like, you were talking about me. He's like, yeah, I was talking with these leaders of state, and just telling them about the incredible things you're doing in schools. That's awesome. And I was like, wow. So for yeah, those so that, that... Was, it was just really cool. Those that are listening, Sal, and we're talking about legislative action and, and how important it is, can you speak to what it is like when you're at LAC um, I know for me, when I first went, I knew nothing of what to expect, and I wish I had. So 
you've been doing it for so long. What would you tell people who are listening now, you know, how to prepare yourself? Because, I mean, right now people can actually sign up. It's coming up. Um, let's yeah, help it's people get ready March, for it. You know, go. If you can go, you should go. Okay. Talk to your state SNA people. Get involved because it's it's a great way for you to learn. But when you get there, you, you got to realize that you are a constituent. You're important to this person. Right. And not only are you a constituent, you're a constituent who is just exponentially affecting so many people. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I talk about what we do. Um, I just sent out a message the other day that you know, New Jersey School Nutrition Association is now a little over 500 people in the association. Um, we lost some over COVID just because everything slowed down and we're on our way back up. But I said those 500 people affect millions of students and their families every day. Mm-hmm. And and the things that we do are, are really important, especially when you look at, you know, my, my thing with this all is just combating food insecurity. You look at what we can do if they just were able to stay out of things, if they left universal meals alone. And they let us keep feeding everyone, which is what we should be doing every single day. Because you can't teach a kid calculus if he's thinking about where, where he's going to get his next meal. I mean, I think no people one's going to learn if they're hungry. No, people don't understand. I think not until you're on the front lines with them do you really see some of our students live lives that we could never even comprehend. And when they get to school, it's a safe I, place for them. It's a place of nourishment, truly, like what we mean when we say nourishment. It's a place of education and camaraderie and partnership. It is not, it's not just what it is for a lot of kids. Oh, it's school and I don't like school. For some of our students, that is where they get fed, period. It's where they're safe from being abused oftentimes too. So a quick, a quick story. I took, we took a bunch of kids out there, middle school kids who just sort of got here from different countries and don't have a lot of family and we're going through some tough times. We did a a day out at a restaurant with them. And one of the guys in the community here is a former student. And I don't think he grew up with with a lot, but he's become very successful and he has some restaurants. And he said, and I told him what I wanted to do. And he was like, bring the kids down. We'll take care of it. So we brought the kids down. We had them, um, we told them that they had to put their phones away. And we talked about table manners and things you need to do. They were really funny because when the food came out, they all just stared at me because they wanted to take their phones out so they could just take a picture of the food before they ate it, which we let them do. But we sat with these kids and, and had a meal, and it was really interesting. And I asked a kid, not thinking anything of it, me being the guy from the suburbs who you know, grew up with all the things that you know you think you're going to get. And I said to this kid, I said, so how did you end up in West New York? Thinking he was going to say... You know, he came because his cousins were here or his uncle or whatever. And he just started the conversation off with, well, it was nighttime and we were in Ecuador and my mom put me on a train. Yeah. And told me the story of how he ended up in Texas through a number of trains and river crossings and other things. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my gosh, that was not what I thought was going to happen. Right. Yeah, and And it was amazing to me. And his like you said, nourishment, his whole world was really what happened with him at school mm-hmm. because he didn't have that much. He had no one here. Yeah. But, but we were able to take care of him in that, in, in some of that way. Yeah. So and I think that that's, that's when you say we don't know what they're going through. Like that blew me away. No, we don't, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest pieces about going to LAC or at your own state level or writing a letter or whatever the case may be is, it's also our opportunity to teach others of what we experience and what our students experience. And as a government, what right. we can do to help the children. I mean, it sounds like I'm doing a an ad here, but it's just so ridiculous right. to me that we have these conversations and I'm going, you know, we're just trying to feed kids, right? Like, how, how are we yeah, arguing like about this right now? Yeah, none of this should be controversial. It should be the no. first thing that we do. No, um, but... so. One, when when you sit and you talk about going to LAC, look, the, the thing is you read, there's a position paper that comes out every year. They talk about what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But you need to, as as your own person and a constituent of that congressman or senator, 
know what it is that's important to you and talk to them about that because that's what they want to hear. They want to hear the stories, the personal stories, the things that, that affect everyday life because that helps them to understand what the policies that they're voting on way up above sort of that level, Mm -hmm. how they trickle down and what they mean. You know, when you talk to them about the fact that, you know, you guys removed the universal meals and now I've got kids that are confused as to whether or not they can get lunch. Now, I've never not fed a kid in my district, but they get worried. These kids get worried and they shouldn't. That should never be a child's worry as to where their next meal is coming from. I think all, and, I think all know, of us talked about being in this hungry. industry can agree on that for sure. Right. I mean, we talk about kids being hungry, but talk, think about kids being worried. Right. You know, it's Friday. Yeah, I got lunch today, but I know that tomorrow and Sunday, there's no food in my house. Yeah. Well, I, I believe, it's just, and it's unfortunate sort of because our politicians are so screwed up in this country, um, especially me and you are older than Lauren, and it wasn't always this way. Or it wasn't as extreme, anyway. I, I believe right. they. I believe they need to to get away from the talking points, get away from the rhetoric, and look at look at the middle because that's where eighty percent of Americans are. And find some way. If if we want free school meals for all, they need to they get the BS politics out of the way. Mm-hmm. Find a way to find that money within the existing revenue sources, and it can happen. I mean, there's so much money that's wasted. I don't think anybody in our industry. Right would ever say even i don't think they even think it but i don't think anybody will ever say a lot i don't i don't i don't care if every kid eats every, we want every kid to that's eat. not yeah but i think we also need to be yeah. responsible um fiscally responsible um for our programs because it's very 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 important and and our politicians need to get the hell out of the way and, and make some decisions that make sense and you know if they need to find the funding somewhere else I mean, I'm sure I can open a book and find however many billions they need for this. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. You know, I, I sit and talk to when I go down and speak with the politicians. And normally I speak. The other thing that you need to understand is when you go to LAC, you're going to speak to a bunch of 24 year old kids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that blew my you mind the first you time. You don't really see, you don't see all the congressmen. They're, they're busy doing other stuff. But the, the staffers are the ones that know everything. Yeah. And they're the ones that go back and inform the congressman as to what these different things are. One person can't be in charge of all of that. Right. So you've got to have your people there and you got to trust them and let them do their jobs. So for, for you, when you go to LAC, if you don't see the congressman, but you only saw his staffer, you didn't only see his staffer. You saw the person that's going to tell him what he needs to know. And, and you need to understand that you, your job is to educate that staffer. Absolutely. And, and it's it's really, really important to do that. One of the things that we talk about also when we go down there, and, and you, you should do your homework before you go and know where your Congress member or your senator, where, they're, um, where they lie on these issues, what their philosophy is, how they feel about it. Mm-hmm. And then tailor your talk a little bit to what they may be thinking about. So a lot of times when I've got somebody who I think is much more sort of financially um, driven. I'll just talk about the fact that school nutrition programs are the best stimulus package for our country. There's there's not another program that they have that you know, 99% of the money they give us comes to our community. You know, and look, the people that they're paying the labor for live in their community. The, the drivers that deliver the food and the other stuff live in their communities. All the food that we buy has to be by American. So to me, school meal programs are a huge stimulus package for our country as well. Great way to put it. So mm-hmm. we talk to that. You know, we, we just look at it and figure out where these folks are, where they are, and, and what their sort of pressure points are or yeah. the, the things that they want to see. And we try to make sure that we hit those. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there are people that are huge advocates. I, I was lucky enough to go to the Conference on Hunger in D.C., I saw our, our Senator Cory Booker there who was advocating for school meal programs. You know, there's a bunch of folks out there. You don't have to go, you know, those aren't the guys we got to sell. But we still need to keep them up to date. And going exactly. to LAC, I think, is a, is a great way to do that, to just make sure that, that the fire is staying lit. And we have so much momentum behind Healthy Meals for Everyone through just all the other advocacy groups that are out there right now. I mean, everybody's pushing for it because it's the one thing that 
if you look at all these hunger issues, where where the where the hammer? We're the ones that can fix it. The, the I, most. I've seen a push for it in in my fifteen plus years in this industry for sure. But I gotta say, the last two or three years, it seems to it seems to have gained a lot of momentum. So, well, the whole nation had it there Look, for a couple of years, yeah. and then it was like uh, right, and it was spotlight spotlight on school nutrition all of a sudden because yeah. who else was feeding everybody? You know, all of a sudden, look, everybody out there who's listening to this needs to just kind of reach behind and pat themselves on the back for, sure. for what they did for those two years because it was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw some stuff that I was just like, "Wow, you guys are great." Um, it's just what happened with people and what they did for their communities and how they all showed up was just amazing to me. And, uh, you know, I think there's an industry we need to, you know, do the best that we can to promote what we did, but also to just keep the momentum going. And that's what I think that's what LAC this year is about. Yes. Yes. LAC this year is really about getting that, getting it out there and saying, you know, you guys, you guys sort of blew it last year by not doing this. And I was the shocked they didn't. On, so. I think everybody thought that was going to be was, the time. It seemed like it was going to be the easy transition. Well, we were in D.C. when it happened. So mm. we thought everything was fine. Yeah. Everybody thought, okay, yeah, they're going to extend everything. We'll be fine. You know, they're, they're keeping universal meals. And all of a sudden, it just wasn't. And it just wasn't out of nowhere. And we did still, I, you know, I'm not sure anybody knows what the political trade-off was on all of that. But right. there's always something. Something. Whoever, whoever, whoever the politicians were that traded um, kids' peace of mind for something else should really be voted out. Well, here, here's how I feel about this, Al. And I don't, I don't care what side of any political issue you are on. I, I think it's all of our responsibility to advocate appropriately for the, for what you believe in, and then if it doesn't happen. Find a way to do the best you can with with what's in front of you right. today. Absolutely, and that's all you know. So we we try to keep politics. When I say politics, I'm talking about big R, big D politics. You know, we don't we don't want to see. You know, we we don't like to get on any like far left or far right or you know ultra no. conservative or ultra. We don't take any stance like that. We're like, look, we advocate for what we believe in. And then at the end of the day, um, if it doesn't come out like we want, and here's you know here's the rules, here's the way it's going to be, and we look at those rules, right. we and we say, all right, we didn't get what we wanted, but how do we do the best job we can? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. We, we don't get mad and say, oh, you know, after Republicans, after Democrats, we don't. No, whatever. It, all right, cool. Next time, advocate harder and hope it changes. But it is what it is right. today, and we have an obligation for the kids that are in front of us today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people don't believe me when I say this, but I really like rules. Like, I'm a fan of rules. I like to know what they are yeah. so that I know what I can do. Right. So when you get to that point and you've made a decision, let me know what it is and let me know what I've got to do, and I'll get it done, and I will do the best I can within the parameters that you gave me. If I don't agree with what you did, I'm going to push to get those rules changed still. But in the meantime. But but in the meantime, I'm going to work within them, and I'm going to show you why you were wrong. Right. Now, one, one thing, I, I 100% agree with you on that. One thing I would, I am sure there are, there are senators from every state listening to our podcast today. I'm 100% <laughs> we're very popular. Sure. I'm sure there are, I'm sure it's all, it's on, it's on their agenda. But here's what I would ask them. Is just what Sal said. Like, put the rules in front of us. We're going to do the best we can. But when you change the rules, understand that sometimes you are changing rules that that our manufacturing industry needs time to adjust to. That when sometimes when you change rules, it costs a company millions of dollars to to repurpose their line to accommodate those that when you change the rules so quickly with little notice that sometimes people are going to get out of the game because it doesn't make sense for them anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, so either give everybody operators and, and industry enough time to adjust to the new rules or provide waiver, continue providing waivers that are going to allow us to navigate those until our economy to until our manufacturing industry can get up to speed and, 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 and handle that need. 
Right. And, and the other piece to that, and we saw it in the beginning with the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, they they changed some regulations and then they sort of waffled and changed them back. Yeah. And the amount of money that that caused companies was ridiculous. Was I, I remember I was at an... It was just poor planning. I was at an LAC where they went, uh, we'll say backwards on the whole grain requirements. And I'm in this yep. huge room and here I am, you know, one of the younger and female in the room. And I raised my hand and I was like, did anybody think about what this is doing from a business perspective? We asked everybody to make a product this way to adhere to the rules. And now we're saying, well, at least right. 50%. Was there not a, a thought of maybe 75%, maybe a pilot, maybe a get the manufacturers involved? And the people, the poor people. Oh, yeah. I say the poor people. Ah, they chose to be up there. The people on the stage just looked at me like, um, we stand with the decision. And that's all they said. And I was like, well, this is the most BS political answer I've ever heard in my life. And nobody's actually answering me. But then afterwards, no. how many people came up to talk to me? I was like, well, y'all were in the same room with me. You didn't want to speak up? <laughs> Come on, guys. You're afraid. Why didn't you get up now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I've gotten up there and said some things and had people just look at me like, what's wrong with you? But I, sometimes I feel like there's things that need to get said. You know, it, it's just, we are, we're in an in industry that, as Joe said, we've got these manufacturers that are that really have to be our partners. We really yes. just have to work with them yes. to get stuff done. And when we don't respect that, we saw you know companies just bailing out. Like, all right, I'm not going to do schools anymore because yep. the money's not there and the regulations keep changing and it's mm -hmm. costing me too much money. And those that stay and in the game raise the price and nobody can do a thing about right. it. Distributors too. A lot of distributors started getting out of K-12, but the big ones who look at Florida. Yeah. What oh, happened to them and, and, and all that. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's such a complex industry and the people writing the rules – really, really do not understand the, the thousand moving pieces that no. go into making, you know, it's one thing to put something on paper, but when you, when you, when you, when you write rules in such a way that are going to negatively impact mm -hmm. um, people on right. the industry side, they're going to get out and then it's just not good for anybody. Again, the importance of being yep. involved, making sure your voice is heard, voting, going to those conferences where you have the opportunity to inform others because, again, we are the experts in our field. They don't understand what we do. They don't do what we do. Anybody listening who right. cares, I mean, really, please go be an advocate, not only for the children, but for yourself and what you are doing. It's just I, can't, I cannot express the importance of how we need yeah. to be there. I mean, the easiest way that I can put it, and I put it to people this way all the time, is that advocacy is just storytelling with a purpose. Yeah. That's all it is. It's beautiful. You know, I'm, I'm telling you a story because I want to bring you to a place. Mm -hmm. what, what I like about what you talked about today was in that story, you thought about the reader. You thought about the person that was going to receive that message you were going to get. And you figure out a way to tailor that story. Not that you're changing the narrative, but you understand your listener. Mm-hmm. And if I want to get my point across, let me find out what's important to them. And I think that is absolutely great advice for anybody heading to LAC, anybody who has to talk to local representatives or state representatives, um, just understand who you're communicating to. Don't yes. parrot some talking points that were provided to you that, are, that may or may not be very one-sided politically. And, you know, Joe and I were just talking about this right before we got on today. Not just that, but also your own county, your school board members, anybody like that. Like, just do not be shy. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be right in their face. It's very much to me that phrase of you should speak up even if your voice shakes. I mean, you yep. need to inform others who don't understand what you do but are making decisions for you. Right. And you need to make sure that they understand what their decisions do yes um it's, i think that sometimes people just decide to change stuff and don't think about it and i've had i've had uh principals that come and tell me oh you know we got to cut 15 minutes off this lunch period because we got to do this and i'm like 
do, do you understand what, what this looks like right now? Right. And I brought them down to schools and said, come, come to the lunchroom and just watch. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you expect us to do this? And they've come back and said, all right, you're right. Yeah, we're not going to do that. But if they don't know and they're sitting there, like you said before, Joe, looking at papers and not understanding what the impact of what they write on them is, it, it, that's why we need to advocate. All right. And, well, and advocacy is something that you do. You do it every day. And that's just right. about everything you do when you talk about, about your job or what's important to you. Okay. So we're going to start to wrap this show for today, but I want to thank you so much for being on. I knew you would be a wealth of knowledge, not only both in, uh, not only just in food quality and school food service, but, um, advocacy for, for good legislation for our programs. And I mean, usually I, I, I end the show by giving a call to action or asking my guests to give a call to action. And I, I want you to echo one more thing. If you're to give one last piece of advice to, uh, school food service programs, districts, state agencies, anybody who's looking to see some, uh, school food reform change, whether it be funding or regulations, what is what is their single best method for getting that information to the people that need to hear it? Yeah, I think first of all, just be proud of what you do, and do it with pride. Let everybody know, hey, I, I do this every day. This is the meal. These are the meals I serve. These are the people I take care of. This is what I do. And when you're proud of what you do, you will talk about it. You can't help but talk about it. And you know, the last thing that I just said, you know, advocacy is just storytelling with purpose. Always know what your purpose is and get out there and let people know what we're doing every day. Let them know how great school food programs are. Um, sometimes let them know how complicated they are. Mm-hmm. But just make sure that you're telling your story and that you're proud of everything that you do. That is that is some of the best advice I heard. Great. Sal, thank you again for being on the show. Um, prepare Thanks your people in advance because I'm coming for the Sandwich King Championship of the World. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I know I got a little work to do, but I'm willing to put in the work. Right. And uh, you're my target as far as being school food service sandwich experts in the world. So um, hopefully I can get on your level someday with that because you guys do a great job. Oh, thank your staff for me because they're an inspiration to us as well. And uh, we're proud to have you you as a friend. Our industry is lucky to have you as an advocate for incredible food and also regulation change. So um, you're awesome, man. I appreciate your friendship. I'm going to have to get it. I'm going to have to get a bigger door to get my head out of this. Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, I'll send a picture of my door. My door is, it's, it's really like three doors. I mean, you've seen the barn doors, right? Yeah. It's like a barn door. You have to have like barn doors. Um, but you should be proud of it and your people should be proud that you're on their team and all of us that know you throughout the country are proud to know you and, uh, keep killing it, brother. I appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully I just, I want to throw one, I want to throw one last thing in for you, Joe. And uh, I just saw it recently, but one of your staff has gone on to a a new position. Mm -hmm. And to me as a leader, that's probably the best thing that we can do. Yes. So other folks that are in positions that Joe and I are in or across the country, when you can take your folks and you can teach them and get them to do the, the best job they can do mm-hmm. and they move on and they grow and they spread this around, that's, that's the way we're going to get better. Baby. So I think that that, that was pretty, um, pretty amazing that she went on. You got her, you know, looked like she was very happy. And you should be very proud of that. We are. And we're talking about Amanda Glacken, who took the directorship yep. of a of a district just southeast of us, I guess you would say. I guess more east of us in in, uh, in Spartanburg. And um, she's right. going to add. She's been there maybe a month now. Yes, um, because I've been covering yeah. for her. It's uh, exactly that long. Exactly <laughs> a month. Lauren realizes you what found four, all, you found out all the things she actually did now. You yeah. know, I thought well, she was amazing anyway. Lauren, and now I'm like, before Whoa. this, did not realize that cell phones actually rang before a certain time of day. So now she's like, wait a minute, phones work at 4.15 in the morning? 5.15 yeah. in the morning? That's crazy. 5.15. Thought they went to bed with they me. Do? So, yeah, we're very proud of her. Thank you for saying that. I think it is all of our responsibilities as leaders to make sure that we are 
um, one, hiring the best people for sure, because, you know, the better people right. you hire, the better you're going to be, the better the results going to be for your kids, but also that we're transferring as much knowledge over mm-hmm. to them. So when the time comes, comes for them, they can move on or take your place and we can continue spreading this. She is, uh, in the last 10 years, I think she's number the sixth person that left my central office team that either became a district food service director or a state director. We've had two Lee, two Lee that became state directors, and, and there's a number of uh, district directors that came out of our program too. And so we're proud of that, that people are able to, you know, move on from here and, and better their lives, but also at the same time improve the quality of food in other districts who really needed good leadership. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Not a problem. All right, guys. Have a good one. Oh, Thanks, hey, Sal. see you in Mexico, baby. All right. Bye. All right. That's going to do it for today. So until next time, let's go.